Good day everyone, you're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 115, The Art of Maintaining a Clear Mind. I'm your host Alex, and today I have the honor to have Izzy as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you very much. Um, yes, I'm here in Reading in the UK, which is quite close to London, so I'm about half an hour on the train outside of London to the Never Eat Shredded West. West, I'm to the west of London. There you go. <laughs> and hopefully the weather is a lot better there than it is here right now. Well, I don't know. I mean, it depends what the weather's like there. Where are, where are you based? I'm in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, which actually cool. winter is done. So actually, the weather's not bad. <laughs> so you're going to be you're going to be you're in slush at the moment, or are you? Is there any snow left? There's a little bit of snow, and actually today is going to be the hottest day yet at 19 degrees Celsius. So you know, oh, wow, it's good. That's, yeah. yeah, that's pretty good. That's that's toasty. That is. Um, it's about it's about 17 here, I think. So you're slightly warmer than we are, but there is no snow. <laughs> there you go. That's the thing. We both don't want snow. We're done with winter, winter, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Ready for the summer. That's that's what we want. Exactly. Now, today is not about our experience with snow and just getting cold. Today is about this warm conversation and Japanese jujitsu. But before we do that, I'm sure the listeners are super curious on knowing who is Izzy. Well, um, I am a comedian based in the UK, and I'm also a BBC history presenter. So I present Making History Radio 4, which, if you don't familiar with Radio 4, is the poshest of all the stations. You don't say, <laughs> when you introduce it, you say, BBC Radio 4, like that. That's the sort of level of BBC Radio 4. You, can't, you don't say 4. But I won't, I won't do the BBC voice for you. Uh, but So I do that. I do a number of podcasts, including Seti Sopo, The Z-List Deadlist, and uh, I'm about to launch a new one called Terrible Lizards, which are all about dinosaurs. And um, I also do the British Museum member cast, which is I work with the British Museum and um, we do a membership podcast, which is actually for everybody. Everybody can listen, but it's about the membership lectures. So they get all of these experts from all over the world to come to the British Museum and do lectures. And I record them and then put them out for the members and do little interviews and things with the curators and other experts in history and geography and all sorts. And that is awesome. So I have to do my soft voice. I don't. I don't have a posh voice. I have. I have like a announcer voice. <laughs> I have like exactly. It's the radio. The radio voice. <laughs> the D voice. The exactly. Smooth. It's a fun one. It's yeah, yeah. I'll have to practice that. So next time we talk, I become more proper. <laughs> but today I can be silly and crazy and uh, be the curious guy that I am and ask all these ridiculous questions that uh, hopefully you're ready to answer. Yeah, hopefully. See, the thing is, I, I want I want to let it in on your listeners and on a secret. Mm. Um, right. He said, Alex said, right, he said he'd send me some questions <laughs> and he claims to send me questions, but I didn't see any questions. So we're going to argue about this afterwards. So if he asked me a question, which I'm just like, oh, I don't know the answer to that. And he's like, well, you should have looked it up. I'll be like, hang on. No. So we could have a massive round. It's going to be good. What is the square root of a big number? Oh, like, no. <laughs> throw, oh, no. Throwing you off guard like that. It's like, what does that have to do exactly. with jujitsu? Like, oh, pff, you haven't yeah. done your research. You know, a square number of stuff. <laughs> But yes, before we jump into the topic of the day, do you have any social media links, websites, or even projects that you'd love to share? I know you've already shared your podcast, but is there anywhere else where people can come find you? It can be absolutely anything at all. If if you go to iszi.com, that's how I spell Izzy. So iszi.com, you can find all about me. My main thing I wanna I wanna shift, right? The thing that, you know, 
I'm, I'm here to sell is I've actually got a book um, which is called the, the Unstoppable Letty Peg. Not sure if it's out in Canada, but it is out in Australia and it's out in Britain and it's out in a few places. It might be out in Canada, maybe America soon. Uh, it's with Bloomsbury. So it's called The Unstoppable Letty Peg. It's for ages eight plus. I know a few men in their 50s who've really enjoyed it. So <laughs> I get weird emails from people and that sort of thing. It's all about a little girl whose mum's a suffragette and her dad's a policeman. And oh, it's basically the fun story of the suffragettes, not the one you get learned about at school where it's all depressing and they starve themselves. It's not that story. It's the it's what the uh, suffragettes actually got up to, which is things like roller skating and, funnily enough, jiu-jitsu. That is awesome. And I, I love how it just ties into your own passion. So I saw the cover. It was kind of cool. I'm like, oh, okay. Because um, I have a, a child coming soon, so uh, but I have to wait. Do till- you? Oh, congrats. <laughs> Do you know what flavor? No, I'm going to learn that in on May 19th. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Is it your first one or have you loads? First one. That's why I can podcast. I don't, ha- I don't have any other ones. <laughs> so once that comes along, uh, it's going to be hectic. That's why I'm recording a bunch of episodes beforehand. So, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's thanks to people like you that I get to do this. Cool. So that's perfect. I'll put all those links in the description below so people can go check it out, show some love, show some support, get your book. Oh, I would imagine it's in Canada. Is it like, uh, can you buy it online? Is so You can buy it on, I believe, that there's. A, I don't know if you've heard of this website. It's called Amazon. Amazon. And uh, Amazon, Amazon, Amazon sells everything. So <laughs> you can probably order it from everywhere. Uh, but uh, I, I know you can get it from the Bloomsbury website. And if you want a signed copy, just go to izzy.com and order one there. So isdi.com. That's perfect. I'll put that in the description. So people will get it. No, not will get it. Have to get it. It's it's an order. It's a have demand. To. They have to. If it, you listen to it's this. It's nice reviews. It's fun. So. <laughs> <laughs> See, you have to have fun while reading this book. It's fun. You have to have yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly that. And today is, of course, we want to promote your book, but also promote you as a person and your hobby. And the hobby of today, well, I'm sure it's your hobby for many days, is Japanese jujitsu. So what is Japanese jujitsu for people who might not know what it is? Well, basically, um, it's jujitsu is the foundation of nearly all the martial arts. So um, it started in Japan, um, probably about um, 1100 or so. So that's how old it is. It's basically a way for people who aren't with no swords and people with no weapons to defend themselves against, you know, sword wielding samurai warriors. That's initially what it was. And from jiu-jitsu, you have all of these other martial arts, you know, have come about. So you have things like karate, you have things. Taekwondo is technically different because it's um, from um, uh, South Korea. And obviously in Korea, they were fighting the Japanese, but it's a different style. They were kicking (laughs) them off their horses uh, and that sort of thing. But um, jiu-jitsu fundamentally, historically, was like that. It came to Britain, um, brought by a man called Yukira Tani back in sort of 1890, something like that. The style that I train in actually has a really sort of weird route to the UK. So it came from Japan via Australia, then weirdly via Austria, which is very close to the spelling, then up to Yorkshire. (laughs) And then it's basically spread from Yorkshire. Now it's gone out. So we've got clubs. I think there are some clubs in um, Canada. There's some clubs in America. There are some clubs in South America. There are some clubs in Australia. And it's and it's a bit in Europe as well. So it's the Jitsu Foundation. If you go to jitsufoundation.org, you can find out about my specific style. But um, yeah. And so that's so what we do, we don't do sparring. So like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which started in the sort of 1910s, 1920s, it was guys from Brazil 
in Japan training um, jiu-jitsu, traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu, and realizing that they could actually defeat people who are much stronger than them through technique in wrestling. And so they brought that style to Brazil and they turned that into a sport. That's where you, you might have heard of a man called Gracie or several people called Gracie. They were all called Gracie. It was one family <laughs> who were utterly brilliant. And they basically tied each other up in knots. Um, and from that, of course, you can do a sport. So like judo comes from jiu-jitsu, but it's just the throws and it's just the the wrestling. Jiu-jitsu itself is a martial art, so you can't um, – it's there for self-defense. It is a self-defense martial art, a bit like Krav Maga. You can't have – which is the um, Israeli forces um, trained Krav Maga. It's meant to be just very efficient. It's meant to be you survive – they don't, or you survive, they're broken, is the idea. You you basically put people in a lot of pain, uh, <laughs> possibly break their joints, um, and uh, just make sure that you're all right and they're not, but without escalating a situation as well. So there's lots of sort of different styles, lots of different schools of a train, but I train with the Jitsu Foundation. And yeah, it's mainly, it's not a sport, so we don't, we don't do on full combat because you only have so many wrists to break. And uh, yeah, it's a bit. It's also a bit like Aikido in the sense that we do train against weapons, but the style I do is much less floaty. In Aikido, you see these beautiful movements of taking balance, and uh, they sort of spin through the air and cartwheel about. Um, yeah, we slam people a bit harder <laughs> than that, but uh, we do go over each other's heads a lot. We do have to practice break falling, which is very acrobatic. But that's only so we don't, you know, have our elbow sockets ripped out. Yeah. That's jiu-jitsu. That is a wonderful explanation. I was going to add to it, but I'm like, you know what? No, I, you said everything perfectly. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure this all had a beginning for you. It's not just like one day you woke up like, wow, I know jiu-jitsu. So how did you actually get introduced <laughs> to Japanese jiu-jitsu? Well, weirdly, it was through my mate Naomi Paxton. Now, Naomi is a comedian here in the UK. And also, you'll you'll recognize this because you know the book I wrote about jiu-jitsu suffragettes. She did. She told me about jiu-jitsu suffragettes. So we were. Um, I do a show called the Z List Dead List, or in I suppose I don't know how Canadians say the word Z or Z. Do you say Z or Z? We say Z. You say Z. Good. Then you're proper people. <laughs> well done. Because Americans are just like the Z List Dead List. What's that? And I'm just like, no, no. It, well, Canadians proper <laughs> and English people. And Australians say the Z-list, Z-list. There you go. So it's a show about obscure people from history, which I do as a live show around the UK. Me, I invited to talk about this. Now, she's an expert in suffragettes and particularly the actresses Franchise League, uh, which was big during the early Edwardian London. And she was telling me about this lady called Edith Garrard, who was tiny. She was about four foot eleven. Okay, literally, she could you know wear a top hat and walk under a table. She was tiddly tiny, and what she used to do was she used to do demonstrations, um, raising money for the suffragettes in theatres and at you know open days and that sort of thing, where a policeman would attack her, and she'd just basically put them through the floor. And people were absolutely aghast at this and completely astonished. And she was doing this as sort of like a fun bit of, you know, training. And then later on, uh, she actually trained uh, Mrs. Pankhurst bodyguards and hospitalized several policemen. But before, <laughs> before she, but, but, so Naomi was telling me about this incredible woman. I was just like, hang on, jujitsu. And I was just, and I'd heard about MMA. I, you know, I'm not an idiot. I've heard about, you know, and I knew about a bit about, you know, jujitsu, the Brazilian sort. And I was like, what is this? And so I started investigating it. And then I realized there was a club at Reading University, which is just down the road, and also one in Tadley, which is just down the road. And so I thought, I know, why not give it a go? And I was very unfit at the time. I, I was not somebody who exercised. Uh, and I, sh I it's one of these things where, 
you know, I don't particularly like exercising. I don't like being out of breath. But I tell you what, when you've got a man running at you with a metal chain, you're not thinking, oh, oh, I, I, I need, I need a bit of oxygen here. You're not thinking that. So it's, it's a great way to work out um, because you're too scared to notice that you're out of breath. So you know, that's that, it's really good fun. You're really living off the adrenaline at that moment. It's like, okay, do I run or do I hit hit by the chain? I'll take running. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, it's just basically just don't be like, it's really scary actually when you're hitting people with a metal chain, because if they don't move, you will seriously injure them. So it's a case of just move your head. Just, I don't care what you do, just move because <laughs> I don't want to, because like, you can't fake it. You know, we, we use blunt knives and you can stab people with blunt knives and it's not really an issue. It hurts a bit, but it's not going to, you know, rupture them. Um, but uh, yeah, a metal chain, there's not much you can do. Baseball bats are similar. You know, you can slow down the swing of a baseball bat, but you can't do that with a metal chain to make it a realistic swing. So it's quite a it's quite a scary thing. But uh, yeah, no, the adrenaline is a really interesting idea because I'm a stand up comedian. That's basically, you know, how I earned my crust for about a decade going around the pubs and clubs of the UK and Europe. And what is interesting about it is the way it's it's the same psychology because you've got in a stand-up comedy set, I, I hate to ruin it for everybody, but you write your jokes beforehand <gasps> and you tell them to the... I know, I know you don't make it all up. So when you write your jokes beforehand, you when you're put in front of an audience, you've got to tell them to that audience and you've got to sort of tweak them for the audience. You might take one joke out, you might put a different joke in because you know they'll get the reference or what have you. And you make it a conversation, you make it flow, and you make it work and you adjust your set to the audience that you're given. Well, in jiu-jitsu, it's very similar. So say you have an attacker coming at you. Maybe it's a two-man attack with two knives. Maybe it's just one guy trying to punch you. Maybe it's a girl trying to kick you, whatever. You have to adapt your techniques to the person you're fighting. So you have to demonstrate that you know you can you know change your skill. If they're massive, you're not going to do a really difficult, intricate hit throw. You know, if they're tiny, you can just you know you can do something much more simple. Or if they're really fast, you can, you can't get away with doing a quick wrist lock. You've got to do think of something else to do. So it's all about adapting it, and it's also very similar because you know if you're facing you know a crowd of four hundred people, you do get that instant adrenaline hit. And if you're facing, you know, an opponent in on in the dojo, you do get that instant adrenaline hit. So it's a very familiar situation to find yourself in if you're a performer or if you're a, a bit of an adrenaline junkie like I am. Have you ever heard of those stories where, like, say, somebody jumped out of a plane and landed in water and broke their legs, but the adrenaline just made their muscles strong enough to actually let their like still work to, so they can swim out? And then once they actually came out, they're like, ow, my leg's actually broken. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird. It's, it's, the human body is a very weird thing. I think there's certain things where you hear of women sort of being able to lift up cars which have fallen on their children. I think it's slightly true that your muscles are capable of breaking your own bones. The human body is capable of all sorts of, you know, exciting, um, you know, achievable things. But I've never fortunately been in that much adrenaline. I mean, the, the bruises is amazing. So sometimes I think, oh, I've had quite a good session. Sometimes because we do weekends away and national competitions and that sort of thing. And you go away and you, you spend the weekend you know, with sort of six hours on the mat and um, you're thinking you're fine and you're thinking you're fine. And then you get in the car and you drive home and then you can't walk the next day because you're like, oh my mm -hmm. gosh, I'm so bruised. <laughs> it's terrible. But you're like, it's a good pain. 
<laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of the few places where you're incredibly proud. You know, what, like when you're a kid and you've got like scabs on your knees and you've got bruises on your shins and that's the thing you showed off. There is a sort of immense pride that you get as a jitsuka going, look at this, look at this fingerprint mark here and look at this one. And it's it's very awkward for your partner who has to be seen with you when you've got a massive black eye. And he's just like, I didn't do this. I didn't. She did it. And she she's really happy about it. I don't understand. <laughs> but yeah, there, there is a there is there is a certain pride and in injury. And speaking about pride and uh, not pride and injury, but just being happy about doing it, what would you say is the best part about Japanese jujitsu for you on a personal and an emotional level? Well, it is that sort of sense of flow state. I mean, I think anything that you do. I mean, some people can you know if you like drawing and that sort of thing when you're really absorbed in it you know it's it's a beautiful thing because you just don't notice the time passing by and everything else and in jiu-jitsu it's the same thing if you've got you know we do these things called v's which is where you stand at one end of the mat and the entire club is in a v formation and the sensei will send out one attacker after the other as fast as well technically it's just faster than you're capable of coping with so that's the ideal thing. So you're always in a slight panic trying to get rid of people and they've got different weapons that you don't see coming. And oh, it's it's a very stressful thing. On the other hand, you cannot think about anything else. So you can't worry about, you know, the fact that, you know, you didn't get that job promotion. And you can't worry about the fact that you've forgotten to put on, you know, the washing for the next day or what have you. You're You're really there and you're in the moment and you are, you know, it is that wonderful sort of meditative thing is you know knives come flying at you it's good fun <laughs> well, that's a good way to start uh, like the weekends like you know what i'm gonna have knives thrown at me that is what i find relaxing yeah. <laughs> you can't mm. even think about oh did i leave the stove on ah forget it knives are flying at me yeah, yeah focus on the first thing <laughs> pretty much it is it is that th- like we do gradings and some of the gradings can be incredibly long so you're basically called up and you're told to sort of perform all the breakfalls correctly and all the different catters correctly and then you're you know asked to demonstrate the throws and you have to do it and you've got, got an audience watching you judging you and marking you to see if you're you know worthy of the next grade and the next belt and so it's quite a stressful thing but the only way to survive it because you know sometimes it's four four hours with only like one or two water breaks in that time to sort of have a break and have a rest. It's constant, you know, it's more energy than a marathon. And you're you're there sort of doing it. And you have to go into the state of, you know, I I call it like being a dog. So you're like, oh, I'm a good dog. I'll do this as good as I can. I'll do it as good as I can. I'm really happy, really happy, even though I'm really tired. I'm really happy. I'm doing it for a biscuit. And it's that sort of, you know, you have to have that much enthusiasm for the thing you're trying to show uh, and perform correctly. And a bit like dancing, you know, if you're if you're a ballerina or if you're, you know, doing dancing for a competition, you have to be able to perform it to the level whereby the audience will think that you're enjoying it all the time and having that sort of, you know, not showing the exhaustion and really sort of being in the moment, not thinking about the mistake where you mm-hmm. put your foot wrong 20 minutes ago, but just thinking, right, this next week, it's the best I can do, it's this, you know, and trying to keep that happiness in your head constantly. It's, it's exhausting, but it's really good fun. And uh, for you, uh, what current level are you at? Because I know, because I used to do Taekwondo and there's different levels for belts. So what is your level for yeah. Jiu-Jitsu? Well, in, in my foundation, um, they've got... Uh, oh God, how many belts? You got your novice, your maggots, your white belt. So you got um, then you got your citruses. So you got yellow, orange, and green. Then you got your purple belt. Purple belt is sort of seen as oh, you're actually pretty good. 
getting your purple belt. That's quite a good. And that's when they give you a little bit of um, like class instruction. You have to like green belt's the fighting belt, but purple belt is the okay. You can take the warm up. You can you know. And then you got light blue belt. And you got dark blue belt. And you got brown. Then you got Dan up to ten. Nobody's got ten Dans in my foundation. I think the most somebody's got is I think it's six or maybe seven. That's the amount of Dans in the foundation um, that people have. So black belt one to ten. And the highest one I think we've got is seven. And I am a dark blue belt. So I am one before brown belt. And the brown belt is in all because the foundation, the way that it's organized is it's all about the teaching as well as the performing. In order to get your brown belt, when you get your brown belt, you have to run a club for two years before you're allowed to go for your black belt. So usually the like the you can go immediately sort of yellow belt then three months later do orange belt and three months later do green belt if you're very very good that took me about three years <laughs> and then purple belts um you've got to have i think six months between purple and light blue and you've got to have a year between light blue and dark blue and you've got to have a year between dark blue and brown and then between brown and black is two years and i think i don't i'm not sure about the how long you have to wait between Dan gradings, but they're particularly nasty. So my follow-up question has to be, do you plan in the near future or later on in the future to open up your own club? Well, I'll have to if I want to get a black belt. <laughs> I mean, I do, I do really enjoy the teaching side of it. The teaching side is great, mainly because I was rubbish when I started. So like, we have to do things where there are throws, like, you know, the way that Captain Kirk throws people. So he'll put his foot in their stomach and then he'll twizzle them over their head. The way out of that, that's the easiest way out. If you don't want to sort of land on your back with your bum in the air, the best way out of that is to do um, a Ford's roll where you roll down your arm. So you've got to sort of leap over the person as they're throwing you and control it into a roll and so you can stand up and look you know, immensely sort of like hey look at me I control my body well I'm built I'm a six foot woman right I'm massive and I'm built basically like a baby giraffe <laughs> with not really understanding where the edge of my limbs stop because I've actually I've got a quite small body and very like I could have been a model if I wasn't so spotty and like I, I basically yeah I, I've got these huge long limbs and controlling them and doing Ford's roles for me was always very hard. I still find it very hard. Um, in Well, I'm better at it now, obviously. But, you know, that we have to do things like they'll put people on all fours down in front of you and you have to dive over them and roll out of it, which I can now do. But it took me a long time. And I teaching people doing it for the first time and going, oh, you know, we're doing this kneeling down. Uh, don't worry about it. But if you can't do it, because the first time I tried it, I burst into tears. So you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's just the level of, you know, so I really enjoyed that teaching side of it. So the idea of opening a club and and teaching people, I think, yeah, that would be that'd be fantastic if if I'm good enough to get a brown belt, which I might never be. This is completely like, I wouldn't say off topic, but a little segues to something else. But has it ever happened that you recorded your own fighting technique so you can review it later on? Yeah. Yeah. We um, There are. It's awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. Because the thing is, you know. I think I think the more you understand it, the more you get into it. Because when you're when you start, you're just like, I have no idea how why this is working. I'm just copying. I'm just told to do this. I don't know why we're doing this. And then suddenly, when you understand it, and you can see where you're going wrong, the worst thing is, I know what I'm doing wrong as I'm doing it as well. 
And so like on a video, you can watch yourself just going, ah, and you can see your own little face in that film <laughs> going, why, 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 why? <laughs> and yourself going, why, why? It's really hard, some of it, just to get, because like, you know, half of it is throwing people. So the idea is that you take the force and the movement of their punch and you move that into a throw. So you just take them where they're already going and go, which means you have to move faster than somebody can punch, which is incredibly fast. Um, you can do things, you can cheat, you can like hit them a bit to get them to go in the right way as you put them through the floor. But it is that sort of, uh, you have to be really low as well because they have to fall over you. I'm six foot, okay? So I have to get low enough for somebody who's like five foot five to fall over me. It's difficult. It means really like, you know, bending quite a lot and like going, dropping to your knees quite a lot as well. And it's, I mean, when you get it right, it's amazing. But the amount of times you get it right, there's a, it's just, yeah. And some like, there's no weight limit as well. So for example, I remember as a green belt, I was, I spent an entire session trying to do a throw called Haragoshi, which is, um, it's a hip throw. And the hip throw and your leg comes up and it just sweeps their legs at the last minute. So they think, oh, I'm not going, but I am going. But I was doing this on a guy who weighed more than 130 kilo, which is a lot. He's a big dude. and He's an ex-boxer. And bless him, he's a good ookie. He's he's good at, you know, um, to train with because he allows himself to be thrown. But because he's so big and the timing of it has to be perfect because the amount of time it takes for his weight to shift from one from one side to the other, you can't then sort of pick him up a bit to help you over. You've got to use gravity and you've got to be that quick. And I think I had about 35 attempts and on the last attempt, I got him and I was so ecstatic, <laughs> but it was like failing repeatedly and like almost putting my back out repeatedly trying to trying to shift him. But, you know, I did get him and then the black belt came over and said, no, you, you might want to try it like this and failed to throw him. And I was so happy because um, <laughs> it's so hard. And you see these you see these amazing like the people I train, you know, who teach like uh, one of uh, my sensei has been teaching for over 30 years. He's absolutely terrific. And another one's like and, you know, you get thrown by, by a black belt. And what happens is you punch and then you're on the floor and you don't know the throw they did. You can't work it out because they're that quick and good at doing and you're just like how did what happened <laughs> i don't understand i was i was here then i was upside down and i could feel my hair skimming the mat and now i'm on the floor so it must have been a hip throw but i went backwards so how and you're just trying to work it out and then it goes now you have a girl and i'm just like i don't know what you did <laughs> It's, it's kind of like one of those moments where I can just picture you, everything's going in slow motion and you're just reevaluating everything in life. Like, where am I doing? Yeah. And just a slow motion, little light, and you just see him like, and then you're on the ground. Boom. Like, what just happened? <laughs> it's really like, there's nothing better than being upside down, wheeling rounds and just going, oh, oh, how am I here? And it, it's, it's a very light feeling as well. It's a very light feeling. It's horrible when you're thrown incorrectly because it's much more of a sort of grunt, pick up, and then a dump, and it's not as good. But when somebody gets you right, it's actually it's slightly terrifying. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, I, I recommend it. I do recommend it. It's very good for the, you know, the soul to realize that you are, you could so easily snap. And it's not all about throwing in the upside down. We do actually learn, I think it's at light blue level, you learn all the headlocks. So, which are, so you learn all the chokes and the strangles and you learn all the headlocks. So I do know, and it's a lovely thing to know as a nice sort of, you know, middle class 
English lady in her 30s. I do know how to break your neck in eight different ways without using any weapons or anything like that. I can do that. It's good fun. Remind me not to piss you off. <laughs> exactly. It's quite nice, isn't it? Just go, I'm not very good. To be fair, of those eight methods, I'd use one, maybe two of them because I just can't get the technique right on the other ones. But it would work and it's horrible. So... <laughs> yeah, so it's a good thing that I'm not pissing you off and this is over uh, Skype. So if it was in person, you're like, if I said one wrong thing, there goes my neck. <laughs> I know my I know my arms are long. They're not that long. That's uh... So what would be your strongest quality? Is it speed, strength, agility, technique, d delusion, or I don't know, delusion, distraction? Delusion and perseverance with me. Perseverance has been my only. The, the one thing I have got is reach. So... I am much better at the leggy sweeps, the throws like Siatoshi, the throws which are um, – and I, I'm quite good at adapting throws for extra leg. Uh, so there's a – I managed to combine um, an Osoto an, – an Ogaruma. Uh, this means nothing to you, but I managed to <laughs> combine an Ogaruma with a um, Taniyatoshi, and it is a horrible throw to be thrown from. But for me, it's lovely to do. It's where I get my elbow up under your jaw, and then I sweep both your legs with my other leg, and uh, you go backwards over me and down onto the mat without being able to sort of like land properly because um, I'm horrible. But that that's a good one. <laughs> um, but yeah, so anything, anything where I can stretch somebody out and use, you know, and... Uh, when I, yeah, when I can use my leg and not my hip because my hips are too high up really to sort of get a good throw on. But uh, unless they're really tall. It's, it's the odd thing is you're sort of like, oh, brilliant. He's massive. I can hip throw him. It's what you think. <laughs> and you get, this little, you get a small girl and you're just like, oh, no, this is going to be a nightmare. And it's like, how is that <laughs> the logic of that? A lot more places to get hit and be taken down. Yeah. I mean, they're often hard to get down because they're heavier and they're um, a bit stronger, but they're not usually as quick. And if you can get to their shoulder and they've got hair or eyes, they usually have eyes. Just take <laughs> them down. <laughs> like I said, they usually have eyes. Sometimes. They usually do. They usually do. Sometimes they have one eye. It's a cyclops I'm fighting. A seven foot tall cyclops. Oh, a cyclops would be easy. One big eye. It's, I mean, we do literally learn. I mean, the thing is, because this is this is an art, it's not a sport. So, you know, there are, there are techniques where we sort of like, for example, just before my dark blue belt grading, my senseis were trying to, you know, test me as much as possible. So it was a case of doing over the belt. So stand up jump over your own head and land flat on the mat, which is what you do. And then a member of the club jumps on you and tries to hold you down and won't get up. And, you know, now you could do some nice sort of lovely Brazilian techniques of just moving and moving around him and that sort of thing. Trouble is he's trying to whack you in the face as well. So what do you do? Um, you bite him as hard as you can because biting, scratching, pinching, weirdly tickling often works. Um, <laughs> you know, just anything, anything you can do. Get back on your feet, do it again. Get back on your feet and do it again until you're sort of, you know, you don't have any oxygen left. Um, you know, the, we'll do, we do very silly things like, for example, to stimulate being drunk, we will sort of put our finger on the floor and spin, you know, spin around our finger 10 times. So you're really dizzy and then have two people attack you. So you're sort of like, it's almost as though you'd been hit with a bar stool. And so you're like really about what's going on, but you still have to get rid of the attackers safely, obviously, um, and stop them coming to try and hit you or stab you or whatever the sensei's weapon they've given you is. And the point is that you fail a lot of the time and you continually fail because that's the thing. You're going to fail. It's almost an impossible you know, thing to do. But when you get it right and when you work out what works, it's really satisfying. And it's like, yes, that's 
that works as a technique. I can use that. Um, so yeah, it's, and it's about challenging yourself as well. And a lot of failing. Failing is good though. I like to fail. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to add tickling to my arsenal of attacks now. <laughs> it's very good. It's very good. Pressure points as well. Just knowing where to poke people. It's good. I'm going to poke them right in the heart, in the emotions. I'm going to hurt their feelings. No, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and actually talking, talking about failing, did, did you ever injure yourself? I'm sure being thrown a lot, but did you ever have like a serious injury or serious injury or a mild injury? Not from jujitsu. I did actually get hit by a car um, when I was cycling my bike and actually I managed to avoid serious injury by brake falling onto concrete which took me off the map for about three months because I had no skin on the side of my leg, which was, mm, but no broken bones either. And I didn't hit my head. So boom, I won. Um, but yeah, so um, the worst, the most stupid injury I've had doing jiu-jitsu is I threw a man on my head. So there are sacrifice throws. You wanted a hat. <laughs> well, exactly. Uh, well, I basically, there are sacrifice throws. The idea is that somebody punches you, but they punch you so hard that there's no way you can, you, you basically are too late and you absorb the impact and you're falling over. And the idea is that you take them with you and you throw them as you are falling. So it's a sacrifice technique. Um, and um, yeah, I didn't understand the idea of getting out of the way of them falling. So I basically just picked a man, you know, he threw a punch at me and I clung onto him and basically pull drived his head through mine. And I had the most epic, epic black eye from that. It was beautiful. It was green. I looked a bit like David Bowie. It was lovely. <laughs> Um, I was so proud of that one, even though it was my stupid fault. But um, other than just, you know, a few sprained ankles, some serious bruising, like proper huge bruises on my wrists, on my back of my hands, on my ribs, where people have been practicing hitting my floating ribs and achieving that. Uh, yeah, and a few black eyes. Um, but I haven't had any breaks yet. Yet. No, 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 not yet. You're not going to have any. No, no. Drink your milk. You'll no, be good no, to no, go. No. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, it'll be fine. And for you, what was your biggest challenge when you first started Japanese jiu-jitsu? I think honestly, it was rolling. It was it was the idea of standing up, putting your arm out in front of you, and rolling down it, and then standing up because you're going to break your arm because that's not what's meant to happen. If you put your arm out in front and fall down, you're going to break your arm. And also, there's a thing we train people to do when you break falling is you never put your arms down you know, as you fall down, because if you hit your wrist, you'll break your wrist. If you hit your elbow, you'll break your elbow and possibly your collarbone. Your collarbone can puncture a lung, can puncture your heart. Not a good idea to break it. So the just the learning to fall on your side without reaching for the floor, I swear it should be a lesson that everybody should do, just learning how to break fall. Because the amount of runners I know who end up with a broken wrist because when they've tripped on something that, or they skidded and they put their arm down and they break you know, a wrist or an elbow or something like that. It's just ridiculous. But yeah, so it's it's the falling. It's getting over, you know, your own self, you know, because as, as well as when you break fall, it's a good idea to be as rigid as possible. So you fall uniform. Uh, don't go floppy. But of course, when you're a kid and you're told, you know, you've got your inoculations, you've got your vaccinations and stuff, just relax the muscles. So you learn when you're in a panic as a kid to relax so it won't hurt as much when you get inoculated and things like that. Well, in jiu-jitsu, you don't relax because you turn into sort of like mushy bag of potatoes and things hit the mat in several different times and it really hurts. So you've got to controlling your falling and controlling your fear and not reaching when you want to reach and then reaching when you don't want to reach. It's all it's it's not something that I found intuitive it was something i really had to learn 
So, yeah, it's that sort of stuff. And I'm still awful at a lot of it. Going over my own head, doing over the belts. I can do it if I'm being thrown. I can do it if I've got a belt, but I can't just be nobody around me jumping over my own head and falling on the mat perfectly. I can't do it. I always sort of like my legs swing out to the side. It's so hard to go straight over your head because I don't know how they do it, right? These black belts and these brown belts who do it. They literally, they just do it and they don't seem to imagine their face hitting the floor and all their teeth breaking and their head being ripped off. They don't seem to, that doesn't seem to bother them. They just do it. And I'm just like, no, because my head will hit the floor. That will hurt. Uh, so yeah, uh, slash kill me. But that's what I struggle with anyway. It's the, it's the, uh, it's the break falling. It's the body control. It's the strength and that sort of thing. But I, I understand it now. So it's a lot of like the mind over matter. It's just like you just got to get over that hump. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not even mind over matter. It's switch your mind off and just do it. That's- <laughs> <laughs> All right, turn off that switch. Done. Autopilot. <laughs> Learning not to think. <laughs> Ooh, that's a that's a meta thing. Learning not to think. Try thinking about not thinking. Yes. Yeah. Keep a clear mind, like the title of this episode. <laughs> exactly. Very clear mind. Just don't think about how much it's going to hurt when you land. And so you said it's kind of still somewhat your challenge today, but do you have any other challenges? Uh, what to do with jujitsu or just in life generally? Because everything's a challenge. Yes. Uh, well, <laughs> jujitsu and I guess life, mostly jujitsu, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, my, my, my future challenges will be doing a because I've I've done all of my nice gradings and I've now got the you're in a room as a dark blue belt with only brown belts and black belts attacking you and there's a there's a certain level you know you in if you're a yellow belt and you you know you're practicing nobody's really going to hit you in the face very hard but if you're going for your brown belt people do get hit quite hard people are repeatedly you know thrown and the beauty of it is or I think the slight injustice is honestly but uh is that you're training with men and you're training with women and you're treated as equals now i I am a feminist but women and men are not physically equal it's not fair (laughs) (laughs) it's really hard you know i the the difference you know a man has faster reaction times than a woman i mean you, you just need to look at the olympics and look at you know the record set by women and the record set by men in high school it's about the same <laughs> you know this is the thing and we're being asked to perform as well as men and i can't complain about it cuz there are plenty of female black belts so i'm i've got to get up to that level but the level is a very high one you know, and they don't let anybody be brown belt because you've got to be able to run a club. You know, you've got to be able to demonstrate every single throw and technique beautifully. You've got to be able to go from, okay, this is how you do arm lock one really gently to, okay, panic, you've got five people attacking you at once, go. <laughs> and then back down to calmness and then back up. So it's that thing of ramping it down, ramping it up. And it's really hard to actually go from nice and gentle, nice and gentle to full on to nice and gentle and have that control and that mind control and that ability to calm yourself and center yourself and keep the technique crisp and beautiful and demonstrating oh it's hard um i don't know if i'll ever get there but i'll have a good go actually speaking of which trying to calm yourself down do you have like a special routine to get yourself in the zone no you don't have time (laughs) you see a knife there you go (laughs) you're in the zone (laughs) and then the knife comes closer and closer oh it's closer to my zone okay now i gotta get out of the zone I think I think what I do do when I'm feeling tired, I start to sort of like you know there are a few you know songs that you hear down the gym and that sort of thing that sort of songs with a bit of an uptake and you you just got to 
keep playing a chorus in your head just to keep yourself pepped and up. Otherwise, you just want to sit down and fall asleep because you're so knackered. It's two and a half hours in and you've done all your break falling, you've done a few of the throw checks, you know you've got all your pressure work to go and you're just like, oh, I just want to sleep. Um, and you've got to go, no, I've got to perform and be wonderful. But um, <laughs> it is that. Yeah. So, so yeah, singing a few songs helps. And then coming out of it again, just a good old stretch. I think yoga's wonderful. It's just really sort of like just going, well, that hurts. Let's do that more. That's. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy the pain. The pain is good. <laughs> well, exactly. The pain is good. The pain is good for you. And has Japanese jujitsu ever stressed you out? So let's say like you weren't able to succeed. Like we'll say in the training. I know in a fight it could be stressful, but let's say during your training, like you're trying to land a move or do a certain movement and you're just not able to do it. Has that ever stressed you out? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really upsetting. And you spend you spend the entire day thinking that you're an idiot and you can't do anything. You'll never get good at anything. And, and shut up. But I mean, the beauty of it is that it does put things in context. Like I did a, I had a, a pre-grading, I think, and it hadn't gone well. And I was very upset with myself and I didn't think they'd let me grade. Fortunately, they did. But um, it was that thing of just me thinking I was an absolute idiot. So <laughs> I spent three hours in a pre-grading, which is basically a grading, but without the the, the big bad boss senseis being there. And I, I, was, I was feeling really bad. And then I had a gig that evening and I had to follow. There's a really um, amazing comedian in the UK called John Maloney, who's very. He's like been around on the circuit for years. He's done quite a bit of telly in the '90s and stuff, and he's he's just got a solid set, and the audience love him. And I'm in one of these clubs where normally, see, if if it's nice, they'll do opening act. So MC opening act, um, MC break. That's usually, and then um, MC middle act break or MC closing out break. Um, there wasn't a break between me and John Maloney, so I had to follow him. And in any other day, I'd have been like, oh, crap, they're going to hate me. I'm not anywhere as good as him. And he's like, got them out of the corner of his hand. To be honest, I'd, I'd had, I think, six two-man knife attacks in a row, which I'd failed at doing. And I was in a mood about that. And I was just walking on stage and went, I don't really care. I don't really care. And I was really funny. <laughs> the thing about stand up is if you show that, if you come across as needy in any way, if you want the audience to like you, an audience can sense that. They think that you're like, you're a used car salesman. They're like, oh, why does she, why is she so wanting, why, well, I don't trust her. Why is she wanting me to like her? I really couldn't care. So I was just telling my jokes because I wanted to tell my jokes. And the audience were like, tell us your jokes. They're really funny. So there, there's that sort of, it, yeah, it puts it in context, just going, well, do you know what? However bad this goes, I, you know, it's not going to be as bad as a grab circle. This is fine. <laughs> grab circles, by the way, are when when you have like, you know, everybody, somebody grabs you from behind, chokes you. You've got to get rid of them. The moment you get rid of them, somebody else has grabbed you from the front. You've got to get rid of them. And then it goes and goes and goes and goes. And it lasts as long as it needs to. So you'll get sort of six attacks. There are basically six fundamental techniques that the sensei wants to see. So if you get six attacks, you do beautiful technique, it'll stop. But of course, you've got people grabbing you, not perfectly, because they're just grabbing you, and you've got to deal with it. So it can last like two to three minutes. I mean, it's a long time to not be able to breathe properly uh, with people grabbing you and you feeling awful. And they grab your hair and they grab your ears. It's just, you know, it's silly. I could just imagine for half a second, like you were in a fight and somebody grabs you. You're like, well, well actually, grab me like this. Yeah, so, yeah just put your exactly. hand here. Okay, and That's now I'm going to throw you. 
And luckily, I am bald, so I don't need to worry about having hair being pulled. Oh, no, it's worse <laughs> if you're bald. It's okay for your eyes. Oh, great. Fantastic. <laughs> I have two. At least uh, if I lose one, I have the other one. <laughs> you see, the thing is, I'll come up behind your head, and you, there's there's actually there's two little notches by your eyebrows, which just above your... um. Just they're in your skull and they're really useful. They're lovely. Gra- Even when you're sweaty, I can usually get them. It might involve me poking you in the eye a little bit, but you'll be fine. It's just a really great way of getting your head to move. That and putting my like, uh, getting your um, thumb in the septum of your nose and pushing that, or getting your fingers in the jaw and just really. There's a point um in your chin where you can really sort of pinch and it actually hits a tooth nerve and so you really want to get out of it and because you want to get out of it you can be guided anywhere it's horrible you're just making me want to just like wear swimming goggles while i'm going to a fight <laughs> oh, yeah, this is what i'm interesting because like if we're all you know because uh, um because of covid and everything else and swimming goggles and anything like that i mean that's just an extra all you have to do with swimming goggles is you have to just like pull them and then release <laughs> that's <laughs> then you'll regret everything sounds like a uh, coyote wild coyote kind of scene where he just pulls the goggles and it just goes back <laughs> exactly i mean I, you know I, I, men who wear neckties don't do it to yourself it's a terrible thing i could throw i can throw somebody by their necktie it's not pleasant don't do it yeah you can get it's a useful grip for katoma sienagi as well anyway all right so the best thing for me to do is to go into a fight in a speedo. Best thing for you to do, and genuinely, the best thing for anybody to do is not to get in a fight. Ah, that's, yes. That's the whole thing. <laughs> it's, you know, this is like, what's your best method of self-defense, Izzy? Well, jogging, regular cardio, <laughs> run, run for your life. Just staying Don't away from me. danger. <laughs> It's one of these things as well, because I'm, like I said, I'm a big woman, I'm six foot. And I, I've, until I was, you know, started jiu-jitsu, I didn't really appreciate how much stronger men are than women. And you're all the chimps. You're ridiculously strong. <laughs> even, even the small little skinny ones are so much stronger than you think, like, it's possible. You're just like, whoa, men are mutants. They really are. Don't fight them. Don't fight them if you can avoid it at all costs. Oh, so uh, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to fight them either. So I'll just I'll practice on my cardio as well. I'm not going to fight anybody. Yeah, yeah. Now, a really important question, probably the most important one, but what are some misconceptions about people who do Japanese jujitsu? Ooh, I don't I think that we, I think, I don't, it's not an entire misconception. The entire misconception is that it's fake because we learn to fall for each other, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the thing is, if you don't, jump out of wrist lock one you will have a broken wrist so it's really hard to sort of say that it's because because it, we don't perform the combat thing it's like aikido they never actually fight each other because like i say you know somebody punches me and i get to the outside i'm doing arm lock two and i'm walking through their elbow backwards and that's going to snap and then what happens you know nobody wants to continue a fight with a dislocated elbow so it is that there is that sort of element to it where okay you never actually even put under pressure and I think that's a fair criticism in some respect. On the other hand, if I ever were to be put under, you know, there have been incidences where, you know, I know people who've disarmed knives of people who've threatened them with knives. So, you know, for them it's worked, but <laughs> whether it would actually work in real life is another is another matter. Um, I think some of it would, but it is that case of we never pressure ourselves in that sense. It's all quite coordinated and friendly admittedly yes if i am aiming when i hit somebody to hit them but i'm not doing it in i'm telegraphing you know i'm doing i'm helping them out when i'm doing it so 
I think it's a fair criticism that it's not real. But on the other hand, it you know when you have loads of people grabbing you at the same time and you're getting rid of them through pain, and when you're grabbing somebody and you're forced to let go because if you don't let go, your fingers are going to break. I think. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty fair, but then you don't ever really know and you don't ever want to find out either. So it's one of those things. But yeah, so I think that's the best criticism of it is that it is, you know, it is training. Even when we're doing pressure situations, always training. We're never actually doing it because we actually did it. People would end up with broken necks. It's not very friendly. Yeah, so communication's key. You just got to talk like, hey, do you want to fight? No. Cool. Let's go for a coffee. <laughs> that's what that's what bowing is. You got to bow to each other. You bow to each other. You basically consented to get murdered, but uh, you won't. You'll be fine. And another really important question I had for you was, what has Japan? Uh, sorry, what has Japanese jujitsu taught you in life? Oh, to to keep going. Yeah, because you can't stop just because that technique didn't work doesn't mean they won't hit you again. There's no point in you beating yourself up when somebody's actually beating you up. So keep going. And on that same kind of like segue, do you have any word of advice for anybody who might be interested in this hobby? Uh, yeah, um, give it a go. Because I honestly, I thought it would be impossible and never be able to do it. I started when I was 30. You know, I know people who are still doing it in their 50s. You know, and 60s. Actually. I was, I got thrown by a guy in his 70s. So boom. So yeah, it's it's it is for any age. It is an utter joy it's a brilliant way to make friends because you can't not make friends with somebody who could kill you <laughs> and you're trusting them literally with your limbs so you know it's it's a it's an immediate friendship maker and it's a really good psychological challenge and yeah and if you want to do competitions if you really want to fight people and prove yourself in that way do judo judo is good or do brazilian jiu jitsu brazilian jiu jitsu is good but this is the only one where you will have an entire room full of people all attack you at once. And also you get to watch John Wick. You get to watch John Wick and go, oh, I know that one. I know that one. I know that one. We did that. One. I can do that one. Ooh, I might try that one. You know. That's awesome. I love how like you watch the movie. You're like, all right, that's a cool move. I'd like to give that a try. I was like, oh, well, he kind of did that kind of wrong. But you know what? It's it's, yeah. it's John Wick. I'll let it slide. And so that looks like Aikido. That wouldn't work. Oh, nice. They do that in Krav Maga. We do that mm -hmm. too. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see. Oh, that's interesting. I can... Could you disarm a gun that way? I think you possibly could. Yeah, maybe. You know. And I've asked this question at the beginning of the episode, but I'll ask it again at the end because, you know, we want to promote you. Uh, do you have any uh, social media links, websites or projects or books or podcasts that you'd love to share? Okay. Okay. So <laughs> right, let's try and get all this down right. If I forget everything, izzy.com, I-S-Z-I.com, I-S-Z-I. It's like 1521, I-S-Z-I. It looks, anyway, it's reflective, you know, is Z. Anyway, um, so izzy.com, I'm on at I-S-Z-I underscore L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E, Izzy Lawrence on pretty much every bit of social media. And yeah, um, Izzy Lawrence UK on Facebook. And I have a book called The Unstoppable Letty Peg, which is all about a little girl whose mum is a suffragette, her dad is a policeman, and guess what? She learns jiu-jitsu with the real-life Edith Garrett, who is that tiny little lady um, who taught the suffragettes how to defend themselves against the police. That is awesome. I'm going to put all those links in the description below so people can come follow, show some love, even buy the book. Because I'm pretty sure they sell it in Canada. Like you said, it's... It's the Amazon. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, on that Amazon uh, Amazon. Amazon, yes. 
<laughs> other good book suppliers, other good book suppliers. But at the moment, everything's closed when we're recording this, so you might be you might be stuck. Um, but yes, yeah, so if you go to izzy.com uh, forward slash book, you'll find out more about that. And of course, my other podcast, the Z List Dead List, the British Museum Member Cast. There's Making History Radio Four. There's Seti Sopo, and I'm sure there's another one. Oh, who knows? Oh yeah, Terrible Lizards will be out soon. This summer, hopefully. Well, this episode's coming out in November, so I'll put all those in. <laughs> Brilliant. So yeah, check out Terrible Lizards. That's perfect. Thank you for sharing all those. And now for the last question, the hardest question you'll be ever asked in your entire life. Do you have any questions for me about Japanese jujitsu? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah do you ever ha- have you ever done a martial art i used to do taekwondo when i was a child and it was i did it up until red stripes it was like right before black belt i don't know why i stopped nice why did why did did puberty hit yeah i think puberty hit and then i was my parents wanted to put me in everything so i had to do more things and i did, ended up doing more football and i love that but one vivid memory of i remember from Taekwondo. I don't know if they do this in uh, Japanese jujitsu, but let's say the trainer would come and we do the butterfly. Basically, you put your feet together and then you put your legs and try to push down your legs. But what they would do is that a full grown man, probably 70, 80 kilos, would come and put their feet on your knees and pull your hands up on a little boy. Unfortunately, <laughs> we don't we don't need to kick people that much. We, we know I think there's f- five kicks that we know. So like literally, and they're just literally something just quickly kick them in the crotch and run or kick them in the crotch. So they bend right. So you can do the throw, you know, that's it. Just keep them at a distance, hit them in the side of the leg, numb their leg out. Cause that's, uh, that's all you can do sometimes. <laughs> and yeah, actually speaking of which, cause in, in fighting on like movies and TV shows and online, some people call it cheap shots. Do you think there is such a thing as a cheap shot during a fight? We call them complimentary attemis, and uh, we're encouraged to basically hit as quickly, distraction technique, as much as you can. Cheat. Because if you don't cheat, you will lose, and there's no happiness in losing. (laughs) Winning is the most important thing, so we're always taught, if you can, you know, flick them in the eye at the same time as doing stuff. If you can, make sure that you're, when you're doing something like Koshigaruma, that bicep is whacking them in the side of the neck as hard as possible so that they're disorientated as you put them through the floor. Because, you know, the, the, ideally, the one thing that's different about Japanese jiu-jitsu to any other um, martial art is we put, we put people out, we don't punch them, we hit them with the planet. So the idea is you get them as disorientated and they don't know what they're doing. So by the time they realize what's happening, they are being, you know, headfirst into concrete. And that way you win and they don't get up and attack you again. And we also learn ground controls for keeping them on the floor and dealing with anybody who's coming in. So, yeah, it's uh, it is about, you know, we are taught, you know, I get marked down if I'm doing a wrist lock on something, saying, OK, disarm this knife for the wrist lock. If I don't slap them in the face as well as putting the wrist lock on, um, I get marked down. So, you know, there are no cheap shots. All shots are good, especially, you know, and I, I recommend if, you, if you're getting attacked, just start saying gibberish at them. Confuse them as much as possible. Just give yourself a bit of time. Say, oh, the cucumbers are very sparkly. And hit them. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> I can just picture you walking around in the streets with pockets full of sand, just in case. 
Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Throw, my, my sensei, he did a second down, and he, he he did mine, picking up sand and throwing it in somebody's face, and they did wince. They're idiots. They were in a dojo. <laughs> <laughs> if somebody throws something at your face and you see some see these fingers open, you panic and you shut your eyes and you blink, and that's all it takes for somebody <laughs> to get close to you. The moment you're close to them, you can put them to the floor. I love that aspect of like you have to use your environment around you to win a fight and there's no cheap shots. It's life or death and usually in certain conditions that you have to fight to survive and anything goes. What's really weird though is like we learn – so for example, if somebody comes at you attacking with a kosh, you learn to disarm the kosh. And so there are quick disarms where you don't actually injure them. You just get hold of the kosh and then you sort of threaten them with it. But they can still continue to attack. We learn defense with a kosh. So we're not allowed to hit them around the forehead. You know, <laughs> What we learn is how to perform really horrible control techniques involving like i've been you know you know here i am nice jitsuka right i i hit my friend around the head they take the kosh off me so i'm left there without a kosh sensei hasn't said yame hasn't said to stop so i've got to go in and hit them again and then next thing i know they've got the kosh around my neck and are throwing me over their shoulder with it oh wow it's horrible it's horrible and you're just like i my break falling better be great in my timing because otherwise my neck is breaking, so <laughs> let's hope. <laughs> let's just hope for the best. <laughs> exactly. But it's, um, yeah, like I say, it's very Hollywood. You know, it would be perfect. If you wanted to be a stunt person, it's the perfect sport for you. So, yeah, actually, people who are listening, if you want to be a stunt person, just listen to Izzy. Go show her some support because <laughs> I'm sure she's going to be very informative. She'll start a YouTube channel giving you step-by-step. No, I don't know if you are, but if you do. Yeah. I- <laughs> I've got a YouTube channel. It's mainly about history, though. I'm a bit of a history nerd, you see. Most of my podcasts are either about dinosaurs or about history or, you know, stuff like that. I do I do love history, which is why I got into jiu-jitsu because the suffragettes did it. And did you guys know dinosaurs also did uh, Japanese jiu-jitsu? Yeah, fun fact. Yes, they did. That's right. <laughs> the T-Rex with the little arms. <laughs> very easy to wrist look a T-Rex. They had very little wrist mobility. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's way out of that fight. Ah, uh, yeah. So uh, there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Izzy, for just coming on. And I really enjoyed this conversation. And you've taught me that I should not piss off anybody at all because I have no idea what they can do. Exactly. It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. (laughs) And if you guys would like to learn more about Izzy, you can go check her out. I'll put all the links, absolutely every single one of them in the description below. Just go show some love. She's a wonderful person and she can kick your ass. So yeah, be nice. And if you'd like to be on my podcast or have any questions at all, you can send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. And of course, if you like the podcast, you know, you can leave a review or not. I don't care. I mean, I do care, but don't care. You know, just care not care and also if you'd like to show us some more support i also sell merchandise on redbubble and also i have a patreon if you want to show some support there but once again that's all optional but you should go show some support for izzy that is not optional that is mandatory so once again thank you so much izzy thanks so much for having me it's been really fun so until the next episode make some time for your hobby take care (laughs) 